0: All right, well, last week we began a series uh, through the Old Testament book of Ruth. And I'm calling this series A Redemption Story. The book of Ruth is just that. We talked about the choices of some of the main characters and what those choices meant within the context of redemption. Elimelech chose to move away from God. Naomi chose to return to God. Ruth chose to follow God. We talked about the fact that choices have consequences. Elimelech's choice to walk away from God led to his own death and the death of his sons. The consequences of Naomi and Ruth's choices will begin to unfold today. We're going to talk about three different types of blessings that always come to those who choose to receive God's offer of redemption. But before we look at those three major areas of blessing, I want us to start noticing something else about the book of Ruth. While this story is true history, hear me say that, it is also written purposely as an allegory. In the story of Ruth, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God clearly intended to foreshadow the story of Christ and his church. This foreshadowing is so predictive that you'll be amazed to realize that Ruth was written down hundreds of years before Jesus came. Today we'll meet Boaz who represents Christ in the story. Boaz is a clear archetype of the Messiah who had been promised. We've already met Naomi who represents those Jews who would later receive Jesus as Messiah Uh, They needed to return and trust God with His plan in Christ. And then based on what we learned last week, who do you think Ruth represents in the story? She was a Gentile, a non-Jew. She was from Moab, outside the land of promise. Not one of the chosen people as such. Not a physical child of Abraham. And yet, by grace, through her faith, she inherited all the promises and blessings of God, as we will see. Ruth represents You and me Gentile or non-Jewish believers in Christ. That's why this story is particularly thrilling for people like us, because the romance and the marriage of Boaz and Ruth, this story is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. We are that church. The story of Ruth is our story told hundreds of years before anyone had a clue that such a thing was even possible. And so as we read the next part of the story, I'm going to stop along the way and have you put a little asterisk in several places where we can begin to see the foreshadowing that I'm talking about. And then after we've read through it, we'll go back and look at the three types of blessings that I mentioned. So please grab a pen or a pencil and follow along in your listening guide or in your Bible. We'll pick up. uh, That's right. We didn't get it into the listening guide. You'll have to follow along in your Bible uh, if you have one with you uh, or just make some notes as I go along here. We're going to pick up the story in chapter 1, verse 19. So we had covered verses 1 through 18. If you don't know the story at all, I have too much material today to review it all. So uh, hopefully you do know the story a little bit or you'll just pick up on it as we go. Verse 19. So they both, Naomi and Ruth, went until they came back or came to Bethlehem. Now you can just put your first asterisk right there. Already you should be thinking about the story of Jesus, right? In fact, this journey to Bethlehem for these two women results in the reason Mary and Joseph needed to return to Bethlehem several hundred years later. Reading on. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab and then came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. Okay, you can put your second asterisk right there. Let's think about Boaz and how he represents Christ in the story. First of all, He is a kinsman of Naomi's late husband, which means he is a Jew, just like Jesus. Secondly, he's a man of great wealth, meaning that he has the power to rescue them, to save them from their dire situation, like Jesus. Thirdly, guess what his name means? The name Boaz means, in him is strength. Also, apparently like Christ, Boaz has not been married, which would have been a bit of an oddity at the time, And if that isn't enough, the word kinsman here also points to the fact that he has the ability, he is biblically positioned to legally function as a redeemer to Naomi and Ruth. Some translations even say kinsman redeemer, and that is in the word, original word, that that type of idea. Verse 2, and Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose side I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. Now you can put another asterisk right there and note that Boaz was a gracious and devout man of God, a natural leader who was also kind and generous, just like Jesus. Verse 5. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Notice before I continue that Ruth had to take some initiative. Uh, She needed to ask for grace, and she did. She humbled herself. She went to the right person. She asked for the right thing. Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Mark down another asterisk here and notice the relationship language wherein Boaz refers to Ruth as my daughter. It would have been quite abnormal for this great man of Judah to refer to a Moabite woman as my daughter. There were, these were words of love and respect reserved for family. Boaz included Ruth among those under his care. He asked her to stay with his maidservants who were his responsibility and like family to him. He included Ruth, asked her that she not look elsewhere for help but exclusively to him, only to him. Only to him. No, no, no one else could, could, could be her rescuer or her savior. Only look to me. Does that sound familiar? The exclusivity of Christ. And notice also what he says. Let your eyes be on my field. Let your eyes be on my field. This particular phraseology is used throughout Scripture where God Causes people to keep their eyes on him and not to look across the fence to the fields uh, of other gods, not to long for the lands of neighboring nations, not to seek after idols or lift up their eyes to the hills, but rather to keep their eyes on him and to be satisfied with his portion. Resting in his promises. Which always turn out to be so much greater than those other sparkly things that would draw us away from what the Lord has for us. Boaz continues Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you when you are thirsty. Go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Here's another spot for an asterisk. Another spot where Boaz foreshadows Christ. Do you remember the woman Jesus met at the well? Was she a Jew? no she was a Samaritan hated by the Jews what did Jesus offer her there living water and he said if you drink the water I offer you will never thirst again obviously Jesus was offering more than just plain old water and you see so was Boaz this water he offered her was the best he had this would not have normally gone to other gleaners Not to be given to random strangers, but reserved only for the people of his household, his family. In reality, Boaz was offering Ruth more than water. He was offering her a place among his people. A place among God's people, just like Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Verse 10. Then she fell on her face. Do you think she would have fallen on her face just about some water? It it meant more. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Ruth understood the extravagant love being shown to her. She seems almost repentant of her past identity, so much so that she gets down on her hands and knees, face down on the ground. This should be our, our, our attitude toward Christ and what he's done for us. Why have I found favor in your sight? We were pagans, Gentiles, unclean and unforgiven. We were cut off from God. We were not included in his family, not part of his field or his vineyard. And yet God chose to graft us into the vine and offer us a portion in his field by grace. We should fall on our faces in thanks just as Ruth did, but also notice the thing that led to Ruth's acceptance into this family. Verse 11, Boaz replied to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And now you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously previously know. And remember from last week, she actually made a confession of faith in the God of Israel. Verse 12, may the Lord reward your work And your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. The key is in that last line. As a type of Christ, Boaz welcomes Ruth into her new spiritual family because of her faith decision to repent from her godless past and to trust in Yahweh, the one true God, the God of Israel. Ruth has sought refuge under the wings of Yahweh. And so now she is being welcomed into the kingdom. What is another word for refuge, the refuge she sought? Well, salvation is another word for refuge. What has Ruth sought under the wings of the Lord, the God of Israel? She has sought her own salvation and she's found it. As we read last week, she made a decision, a firm covenant, committed to put her faith and her trust in the Lord, Yahweh, God of Israel, seeking salvation by God in faith, she now receives it. By grace. And if you are theologically nitpicky, yes, yes, I know it was the grace of God in the first place that gave her the opportunity and desire to receive that grace by faith. But will you also notice? Will you also notice that she had to choose to respond in faith in order for that grace to be fully applied? Gifts must be received. Reading on, verse 13, then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Again, who else was characteristically kind and comforting to foreigners like Ruth? Jesus was. Now watch this, verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz Boaz said to her, come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar, double asterisks here. Do you see it? Who else invited others to dip bread into the cup with him? Jesus did. At the last supper that we celebrate through communion, Jesus dipped bread in the vinegar, as it were. That is to say that he dipped the bread into the fruit of the vine with his disciples and used that to illustrate the sacrifice he was about to make. The fellowship of the table of Christ is clearly pictured here in the table of Boaz. And the thing is that Ruth, this lawbreaker from outside the camp, is invited to the supper. She's included. Ruth is invited figuratively through Boaz and literally as well to the eternal banquet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ruth was invited, and so are you. Reading on. So she sat beside the reapers and he served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. Now, wait just a minute. Did you catch that? I underlined a phrase just to help nobody miss it. This is scandalous. He served her. Do you have any idea how out of the ordinary that was in this culture? a prominent leader in the Jewish community inviting a foreigner to his table even a woman at that time and serving her himself it's almost as if he had stooped down and washed her feet Verse 15, When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants, saying, Let her glean among, even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Also, you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles, and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. Again Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He's one of our closest relatives. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest.'" Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Pretty good story so far, isn't it? Can you believe that this was written down around 3,000 years ago? I think that was before iPhones. I'm not sure. That's a while back. God's written word is a precious word. Treasure. Now having pointed out some of the obvious parallels between Ruth and ourselves as well as the parallels between Boaz and Christ let's break this down another way and see what we can get out of the more literal message of the story. Remember that the overarching theme of the book of Ruth is redemption and so a process of redemption continues to develop throughout the storyline. Today's verses particularly highlight the kinds of blessing that redemption brings. I see three major types of blessings illustrated in today's portion of the story. First of all, there is the blessing of God's plan. The blessing of God's plan. We can see God's plan unfolding all over the place in today's passage, but let's take a look at a few select verses. First, look at... Verses 19 through 21 again. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. God's plan for Naomi doesn't sound like much of a blessing so far, does it? but well, let's think about this. First of all, notice that it says the entire city was stirred because of, they said, is this Naomi? The fact is that Naomi was being welcomed home. Hey, she was being noticed. She didn't just slip in. It was a big deal. She was being noticed. People were all stirred up to see her. Undoubtedly, there were those who, were, who wanted to comfort her in her loss. She didn't go in uh, unseen. She was seen. She was noticed. They were good people who loved her and her family. But Naomi says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. In fact, Mara is the name of the place where the bitter, with the bitter water where, where her ancestors rebelled against God in the wilderness. Reading between the lines, the other women are trying to be kind to her, but she barks back at them about how God has let her down. Before you're too hard... On Naomi, however, remember she has lost her husband and both her sons to untimely death. She is limping along right now. But as we covered last week, she is limping back to God. At the very least, Naomi has realized it is better to go with God than to go against him. A very important truth to understand as we discussed. So how is God's plan a blessing for Naomi? Naomi. Well, remember that the pain and suffering she's going through came at least to some degree as a result of leaving God's plan in the first place. It was most certainly not God's plan for this family to leave the promised land. They had walked away from God and were being disobedient from the day they left. But now Naomi is returning to God's plan and maybe she thinks that it's too late for any of his plan to still be good for her. But she's dead wrong about that, isn't she? God has great and glorious plans for Naomi even still. Have you ever thought that you had screwed up so badly you must have completely ruined God's plan for your life? Let me tell you something, my friend. That is not possible. You cannot screw up so badly that there is no blessing left in God's plan for you. As long as you're still alive, there's the opportunity for redemption in God's plan for you. Further, you cannot stop God from working, even all of your junk, into his plan. And see, that's what redemption is all about. It's about God buying you back, junk and all. See, in the individual sense, before redemption, we're not really participating in God's plan. I'm not saying that God isn't sovereign over the, the saved and the unsaved, but His plan is not for you to be in rebellion or to stay unredeemed. That is not His will or His desire. I reject any such fatalism. So let's be clear that all that stuff in your life that happened before redemption was not God's plan or best for you. On the other hand, God is so amazing that when he redeems you, he also redeems whatever part of his plan was not previously being manifested in your life. In other words, God is able to redeem your past and even bring good out of your bad choices. Yes, his grace is that amazing. He doesn't make your bad choices good, but he does bring good out of them. As Romans 8.28 says, God is able to work all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. It's true that God's plan for you really doesn't kick in until you're redeemed by grace through faith in Christ. But at the same time, God doesn't waste the stuff that happened before redemption either. He actually redeems every bit of it to be used for His glory. How does this work? Well, look at our story. See, even though it had not been God's plan for Naomi to leave the promised land, now we see that the good plan God has for her life is all wrapped up in Ruth, a person she picked up while living outside of God's will. Isn't that crazy? How does he do that? Only God knows. But by the way, it's the same thing with the Garden of Eden and the forbidden fruit what had not been God's will or his plan wound up being redeemed within God's plan, and of course, he always knew it would be. That is true divine sovereignty, by the way. The ability of God to work every choice of man into his plan while not forcing those choices. This is mind-blowing sovereignty. A lesser view of sovereignty has God predetermining and forcing everything that ever happens as if he were a puppet master or a robot programmer. But the biblical God does the impossible in allowing choice, yet somehow working it all together into his plan. In our story, it goes like this. The redemption of Naomi is wrapped up in Ruth, who she never should have met. It's just that crazy Ruth is going to give her grandchildren that is a progeny which meant everything to the people of that time and as we will see even Naomi's own personal restoration is coming through Ruth a woman she met while she was away from God my friends we cannot begin to fathom the awesome sovereignty of God he somehow sees it all ahead of time <laughs> and he works it all out in spite of our bad choices That doesn't mean our choices don't have consequences, but it does mean that through God's miraculous buyback plan, good things will even be brought out of the times when we were not walking in his will. Is is that good news for anyone else this morning? Hear this, redemption brings the blessing of God's plan into your life. And the crazy, amazing thing is that God's plan takes into account your past, your present, and your future. That's just the kind of all-powerful God we serve. What else can we see about God's plan in these opening verses of today's text? Look at the end of verse 22. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Timing. Timing. Let me tell you what this means. The famine years are over. Good times are just beginning. God is about to restore the years the locusts have stolen. Remember, this is part of why Naomi's heading back. She's heard that there's bread in Bethlehem again. COVID is over. There, okay. (laughs) The famine has ended and it's now harvest time. Maybe the first real harvest they've had in years. Now, the barley harvest would have occurred in mid to late April. In other words, this is an early harvest with the promise of more harvest to come throughout the summer and fall. This is the beginning of a lengthy redemptive season for Bethlehem. It's difficult for us to imagine the joy that would have surrounded this time. There is nothing we have to compare. Winning the Super Bowl does not compare. Nothing compares with the celebrations that going on here in this village of Bethlehem as Naomi and Ruth walk into town. It would have likely been a more meaningful party than we have ever uh, thrown. See, life and death had been in the balance for the whole village, and God had come through once again. The famine was over. There was now bread in Bethlehem. No more hunger. No more lack. Literally, now their babies would survive. Can we really even imagine? This was a time of abundance. And because of redemption, Naomi and Ruth are allowed to join in the celebration. I'll say it once more. Redemption allows us to reap the blessings of God's plan. Let's look at one more instance of the blessing of God's plan from today's text. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. So Ruth departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. The author of Ruth, possibly Samuel, had command of the same literary tools um, that authors use today. I think he has a little fun with this phrase. She happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. I mean, what are the odds? Clearly, God is directing her steps, and the author knows it. Ruth's arrival at the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz is the plan of God. Now, do you want to know what one of my most hated cliches is? I know you're just dying to know. What is your most hated cliché, Pastor Mark? Well, you might be surprised because it's something many Christians say. They say, everything happens for a reason. I just really dislike that phrase. Think about it. Those words mean nothing. Cause and effect is an obvious principle to anyone, but it offers no answers. Of course, everything happens for a reason. Every reaction was caused by an action. On 9-11-2001, thousands of people died because terrorists crashed planes into the Twin Towers. Everything happens for a reason. That phrase means absolute nothing. I have a better phrase that I have adopted, and I came to it the first time I preached through Ruth many years ago, since then I've used this phrase often. I really do say this now, instead of everything happens for a reason. Here's what I say. God can redeem everything that happens. In other words, while I do not believe, we can still be friends if you do, but, but I do not believe that God causes everything that happens. I do believe that he is able to work good out of everything that happens. That's one of the blessings of redemption. God can take stuff and people and plans that are messed up beyond all recognition and bring the whole train wreck into submission within his perfect and sovereign will for the universe. Only God can do that. Only God offers to do that for you. God is able to redeem everything that happens. Wait, everything Yes, everything. He can redeem it. He can use it. He can even make his own plan depend upon it somehow, just like he did with Ruth. God can redeem everything that happens. One word, COVID. Wait, Pastor, maybe God actually brought COVID onto the world. Yes, maybe. Maybe. That might not be popular, but it's certainly possible. God has absolutely used pestilence and promised to use pestilence to bring people to repentance. Read your Bible. My first sermon after COVID hit was Second Chronicles 7.14, where God says, When I bring pestilence, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. But the point I'm making now is that whether he caused it or allowed it as a part of what is already happening due to the curse that is on this earth, Earth, it's dying. We're all dying. We know that already. Either way, God is using it. God is bringing good out of COVID, and he's commandeering this horrible disease, forcing it to submit and to be woven into the tapestry of his greater plan. God can redeem everything that happens. I'll go one step further. COVID regulations. Ooh. Whoa, now you're, okay, now you're stepping. (laughs) God can redeem everything that happens, even government overreach and twisted power grabs. even lost earthly freedoms. God can redeem all of it. He can use it. He can bring good out of it. He can even make it wind up being a part of what needed to happen to accomplish his larger plan. Back to the story. Ruth and Boaz should have never met. I mean, really. And yet, in the end, as we will see, this couple not only gets a happy and fulfilled marriage, but they make it into the family tree of Jesus Christ. That's a spoiler alert. That's where this ends. Who knew? God knew. And that's the extent to which God can redeem a situation, my friends. Regardless of your past, through redemption, God can accomplish his plans for you. I'd say that's a pretty big redemption blessing. Let's talk about a secondary, and the other two are shorter, so relax. We'll get done about normal time. Let's talk about a secondary of blessing that comes through redemption. Number two, the blessing of God's providence. Make no mistake, those who have been redeemed are promised providence at a whole other level. Now, All creatures enjoy the general providence of God because He sustains the universe which would fall apart without Him sending rain on the good and the bad, as the Bible says. But make no mistake, those who trust in the Messiah are promised a more personal kind of providence. As the Apostle Paul put it in Romans 10, verse 11, for the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him abounding in riches for all who call on him. Now, what am I supposed to say right now? Be a good little pastor. I'm supposed to say that this doesn't mean everyone who becomes a Christian is going to be rich, right? Well, I'm not going to say that so easily and so quickly as you might like. The better question is, what does this mean? I'd say it means there's a certain kind of wealth that is promised to those who trust in the Lord. Right, it doesn't always mean material riches as we might think of riches, right? It doesn't always mean houses and pools and jet planes and whatever. But maybe sometimes, (laughs) maybe sometimes it means just that. Who are we to say it can't mean that? Ever. What does the word actually say? It says the Lord is abounding in riches for all who call on Him. Stay with me. I know that we... We have all rejected the health and wealth or prosperity gospel, and we absolutely should. But almost almost all doctrinal error is an overreaction to some other doctrinal error. And listen, there's more than one way to tickle ears. Anytime you're only being told what you already believe, your ears are tickled to some degree. So let's think about this abounding in riches. For who? For all who call on him, which in context has to be all who are saved in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. So listen, whatever this means, it certainly means something very good for those who are saved, right? God is abounding in riches for all who call on him. Straight up, this means that all who are saved benefit from the abounding riches of God. This is obviously a reference to some kind of special, personal providence that is not available to just anyone. And so we can caution each other and say, hey, that, that's only talking about spiritual riches, not money or wealth. But do we actually find that limitation in the text? No. <laughs> I don't want anybody going off the deep end here. But on the other hand, listen very carefully. God provides for his own and he provides bountifully. He meets the needs of those who call upon him in faith. We recently heard from Jesus, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. All what things? Well, newsflash, the verse before, talks about food and clothing and shelter. Those were the riches of his day. That was providence. God provides for his own. Folks, redemption brings the blessing of providence at another level. At what level? At the level of an heir. H-E-I-R, at the level of a child, and not only just any child, but as children who are the progeny of God. Yes, I do believe God blesses his children with material blessings, and frankly, we don't need to feel guilty about it when he does. He blesses us because he loves us and so that we can be a blessing to others. We need to be careful not to overreact into an opposite error when it comes to the prosperity gospel. This is a real danger for some of us. And frankly, some popular authors and speakers have overreacted. I'm not preaching to a group who believes the prosperity gospel. I'm preaching to those who might just need to remember that God provides abundantly for his own. Now let's get back to our story. I'm not going to take the time to read through all the providence moments again, but think about it. Ruth winds up with all the fresh water she can drink. Warm baked bread. We haven't, where's my mom? Are we having bread today? We haven't, we usually have bread. And and roasted grain at mealtime, complete with leftovers for Naomi, about 30 to 40 pounds of sifted grain, enough to sell if they wanted. And all this comes at the end of day one. Folks, in those days, these things were riches. And Ruth keeps saying, what have I done to deserve all this? And God says, welcome to redemption, my daughter. You've chosen wisely. You've you've learned that it's better to go with me than to go against me. Be blessed, for your Redeemer is in love with you. Friend, when God bought you back in Christ, He bought you back to care for you as His precious possession. Twice purchased, twice as loved. I do need to say one more thing on this God does not nullify personal responsibility or the value of work with His providence. You'll need to get a job. As you do your part and call on the Lord, he will provide. Ruth didn't sit at home and expect these blessings to fall in her lap. She worked hard. She took initiative. She worked all day. And through her work, God blessed her beyond her work. Now quickly, before I go on, let me remind you of the definition of redemption because some of you may not have been here last week and I want to make sure you know exactly what I'm talking about before I get into the final point. The word redeem means to buy something back. I use the analogy of selling your treasure to a pawn shop and then going back the next day and paying twice what you got for it just because you couldn't live without it. That's what God does for us. We belong to him in the first place in that we were created by him, made in his image. However, by choice, the Bible says we all stray. We walk away from him in order to buy us back. He gave his only son on the cross. That was the price of our redemption. And Jesus, as Jesus died, he said from the cross to tell us die, which means paid in full. Now, the gift of redemption is offered to each of us in grace and by faith in Christ, we receive it. Redemption is a way to describe the restoration or rescue from sin which God offers to us all in Christ. This redemption brings us the blessing of God's plan, the blessing of God's providence, but let's move on to the third blessing of redemption that we can see in our text, the blessing of God's family. Another unbiblical thing that Christians sometimes say is this, we're all God's children. The Bible couldn't be more clear that we are not all God's children. By default, we're not. We become God's children when we're adopted into his family through faith in Christ. I could give you verse after verse on that. Now, what people generally mean when they say this is that we're all created by God. And that is absolutely true. We all share the bond of having the same creator, and we all descend from the same man and woman, Adam and Eve. Truly, we are all born into one race. But make no mistake, the only way to become a true child of God is through adoption. The Bible says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. When the Bible says under the law, it basically means under sin, separated from God, because the law of God condemns us as lawbreakers. If you look at the underlying phrase there, you can see that only through redemption do we become the adopted sons and daughters of God. Let's think about what a blessing it is to become a child of God. Let's think about this from the perspective of our our story. Look first at chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Remember from last week that Naomi and Ruth are destitute at this point. Likely, they've been going hungry. Because of the culture of that time, they have little or no hope to provide for themselves. No providence, protection, purpose on their own. Basically, they're at the end of the rope. Uh, But then comes redemption. Naomi's returning to God. And Ruth has made a first-time decision to follow God. Redeemed by grace through faith, they now start to experience the blessings of the family of God. And in our story, those blessings come through a man of strength named Boaz. Notice verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Again, don't miss what he calls her. Boaz is accepting Ruth, a pagan idol worshiper, as they would have seen her, into his family circle. This is a profound act of grace. Look at verse 19 and following. Not going to read all that, but at the, at the end, he says, she says, Naomi says, this man is our relative. He's one of our closest relatives. Check it out. Naomi includes Ruth in the family here as well. She doesn't say, this man is my relative. She says, this man is our relative relative. What does this mean to Ruth? Remember, Ruth's just a young girl, a foreigner now in a strange land. These aren't her people. She has nobody. How does she take this? What does Ruth hear in all of this exchange? She hears that she has a new family. And it doesn't hurt to know that someone in that family is a person of means who's wanting to help her. What a blessing. What an extravagant redemption blessing. We also should feel blessed to be welcomed in the family of God. But I think too often we take this blessing for granted. Big time. Even people who claim to be Christian thumb their nose at the family of God saying we don't need the church. That's the same as saying we don't need the family of God. The church is absolutely the New Testament family of God. That's what we are. And I want to take this opportunity to ask you to let us be a family to you. Personally, I think you'll have a hard time finding anything that feels like a healthy spiritual family if you don't pick a particular local church to join. I mean, family requires commitment. Family needs to gather to experience the benefits. In case you don't know that. We're not talking about just some vast global symbolic family of people you don't even know. We need to live in proximity with each other and, f- and function like family. Experience the benefits of family. You need to pick one, you need to participate just as they did in the early days of the church. You know, they didn't just bounce around or consider themselves part of the greater church at large without participating in, intimately in a specific church. People keep to themselves these days, don't they? I mean, more and more have you seen teenagers walking around with, their, with a mask on and a phone, walking around crossing the street with a mask on and their face in their phone. I shouldn't say teenagers. I'm sure it's other ages too, but that's what I've, just what I've seen. and They, they don't want to be seen, and they don't want to see. I think all of us have been affected by some of the technology and COVID and everything else. We just want to keep to ourselves more every day. Maybe maybe we can just watch church online. Listen to podcasts. Call it church. But listen, that is simply not God's plan. When it comes to spiritual family, He wants us to work together. He wants us to actually be a family like the way family is before the kids leave, okay? Like together, doing life together. Well, it can't be that kind of family if you don't show up for Sunday dinner or if you keep everybody at arm's length. Another thing about that is family's not about what you can get as much as what you can give. People who get the most out of family are the people who put the most in. Those who use and abuse their family wind up disappointed and eventually they bail on their family because the hole inside us can never be filled by getting, only By giving. One step further, in a church of any size, the only real way to experience this kind of family is in a smaller group. We have something called Go Groups. I hope you'll think about signing up for one. We have about seven or eight going, and they're just awesome. It's awesome. I mean, people are, I hear stories all the time about what's going on, how people are able to share and get prayer, and, and they know each other, and they're doing life together. The Bible says, so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are to the household of faith. Family. Bottom line, participation in the family of God comes with privileges, even on this earth, even in this life, even in terms of physical needs. We can help each other. Let your go group know about your need. There may not always be the kind of help you were looking for, but we do what we can for those who are part of the family. Beyond that, what does it mean to be part of the family of God eternally? We get to be with Him forever. What if you tried one particular local expression of God's family and it was not a good experience? Well, first off, I'm sorry, but secondly, I'd encourage you to try another one. The truth is that some churches are messed up. They're made up of people, after all. I guess all churches are messed up to a point, but you know what I mean. Don't let one bad experience keep you from experiencing the blessing of God's family for the rest of your life. It's just one of those redemption blessings. Don't miss out on it. So, we've talked about the big three redemption blessings that Naomi and Ruth are beginning to experience. The blessing of God's plan, the blessing of God's providence, and the blessing of God's family. Maybe there's someone here this morning who wants in on this deal Maybe somebody has figured out what is meant by the words good news. Yeah, the gospel is good news, my friend, the best news ever. So how do you get all of these blessings? How how, how do you get redeemed by God? Well, all you have to do is turn away from your former life of unbelief and sin while receiving his gift of grace to do just that. You receive redemption by trusting in Christ to forgive you and save you and change you from the inside out through a lifetime of learning to follow him. But it all starts with a personal faith decision that each person must make. The kind of commitment we saw in Ruth last week, eventually she found that her decision was the best one she'd ever made. Yahweh, the one true God, became her Savior. Today we we know Yahweh through Christ who came, God in the flesh, came here to offer these things to us. So, am I trying to bribe you with these blessings? Sort of. I mean, it's not really a bribe, but more of a promise. Does God not make any promises to those who would surrender to a Savior? You better believe He does. if the promise of redemption through Jesus Christ is not enough, think of all these other blessings that comes with it. The offer of God is on the table. It's a very good offer. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would put their trust in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Have you been redeemed to eternal life? Have you received this great gift of God by faith? God has a plan for you. God has providence for you. God has a family for you. What are you waiting for? I I know there are many people here today whose testimony looks like Ruth's, you know. They would tell you how much their lives have changed now that they've followed Jesus, now that they've surrendered to him. There are many who could tell you the story of redemption in their life, how God took things that were bad and made good things out of them. Hope, stories of hope. What about you? What about you? Would everybody just pray with me for a moment and just remember that moment from last week when when Ruth said, she made her choice. You know, Joshua said, "As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Ruth made her choice. Said, "I want Yahweh to be my God. I'm gonna your people to be my people. I want to I want to be a part of this covenant relationship." with Yahweh what about you we know more today than Ruth understood we know that Jesus died on a cross to make this possible for the people before and the people after but we're after so we can look back would you put your trust in Jesus on the cross today the Bible said he was God on the flesh and he died He came in a body so he could bleed so he could pay the price in blood for your sin he said it's paid in full it's already done. Will you receive it by faith today? Would you not just turn to Christ and say, yes, I need to be forgiven. Please save my life. I want to follow you. I want to turn away from my selfishness and whatever else, my sin, and, and just walk with you. I don't, I don't know how. I don't, I don't know what it means. Every single thing it might mean as I learn more. But today, I'm, I'm ready to just save me would you just save me, Lord? In the name of Jesus, I'm asking. I, I just, I'm just calling out. and that really is the beginning of that's your redemption, if that's a decision you're making today. God does the work. He's just waiting for you to respond to what He's saying. He, he's the one who redeems you. You don't have to redeem yourself. Would you just surrender to Christ today? And I hope and I pray that if in your heart you've done that today, if today was the day you're saying, yes, 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 I want Jesus to be my Savior, then make sure you tell us that this is the biggest, the most amazing, this is your spiritual birthday. Let let us know. Use the response card if that's easiest. Come talk to me, email me, whatever. Let us know so I can help you know what maybe some next steps might be. God, thank you so much for the story and how you're using it in our lives. Thank you for redeeming us, our past, our present, our future. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.